You can't continue to pray, God, help me. God, show me your will. God, tell me what to do and not be in his word. That is useless. It's futile. If you're going to ask him those things in prayer, you must open up where he speaks to you. You must open up this word of God, and you have to have it every day in your life. I'm going to go fast through these things, and it's going to be kind of topical, but I want you to look at Psalms chapter 119. We're going to be there. Last Sunday, we did Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, about worship, presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, which is our what? Logical, reasonable worship, reasonable service. It just, just makes sense to worship God, okay, and to serve him. This Sunday, that was two verses, and we spent an hour. This Sunday, Psalms chapter 119 has 176 verses. Yes, so you better have a Twinkie or a candy bar in your pocket. Look at what it says in verse number 41. We're not going to read it all. Y'all can exhale, and uh, we're not going to read it all. Look at verse 41. Most of you, when you open your Bibles up, hopefully you've got these little headings. Some of you, as you read in your Bible, you've got these even different paragraph headings where it tells you a summary or title of what that section of Scripture is going to be like. In this one, you're going to notice a little bit different, but if you look at it on there, it may say something like V-A-U or even V-A-V. It's pronounced Vav. And if you look at that, you say, what in the world is that? It's the letter V in the uh, Aleph Bet or the Alphabet, the Aleph Bet of the Hebrew. Hebrew language. It's the letter V. Their language doesn't do like ours, the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, E, F, G, you know, everybody sing it like a monkey in a tree kind of thing. It's not that, but theirs is A, B, G, D, H, V, and it go and Z is next. It's different, and I'm going to show you some of that later on, but let's look at what the Bible says in Psalms 119. Look at verse number 41. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord. Even thy salvation according to thy word. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me. For I trust in thy word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. For I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty. For I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in the commandments which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. In Psalms chapter 119, we find verses of Scripture, Brother Carl, like this, that... uh, uh, that the Lord's, uh, the word of God, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We understand in Psalm 119 that every single verse, every one, 176 verses, has a word like this. Law, precepts, commandments, judgments, uh, um, thy truths, thy ways, uh, all of these things. They're, all these words are wrapped up in every single verse. And some people have said that this chapter of the Bible is kind of just thrown in there and that, Brother Butch, it's one of those things where it's a repetitive thing. It's like, <clears throat> it's like singing the, the last uh, verse of Amazing Grace when we've been there. To, they're singing it over and over and over and over again because it, it's talking about God's Word, His laws, His precepts, His judgments, His ways, and all of this stuff, and the truth and commandments, and that it's just repetitive. Charles Spurgeon even put it like this, that it's the psalmist notebook, that basically he was, every time he went around, he would write down his thoughts about what God's word was. And so basically in David's eye notes, he had an area over there that said word of God. And every time he thought about something about the word of God, he would write it down and stuff. And that's not right.
right. Looking at this scripture right here, that's not right. Listen, you need to pay attention this morning. This is going to be the most vital thing that you need. We are all struggling. We are all hurting. I understand what you're going through. Some of you say, Brother Steve, you don't know what I've gone through this weekend. I've held the hand of one of my best friends as he's leaving this walk of life, and I knew that the only way that I'm going to get through it is by listening to the Word of God and listening for the Word of God. David knew that. This is not some kind of happenstance where Psalms 119 needed to be the biggest so it would kind of center in the Bible. This is in the center of the Bible. This is our longest chapter of any book of the Bible that we could ever have, chapter 119 of 176 verses. Listen, it is there for a reason, and it's because in the center of our our lives, we as Christians, we need the Word of God. You will not make it alone by just coming to church. You will not make it by doing Christian works and doing good deeds for the Lord. You will only thrive and survive by understanding your need for the Word of God. That's why we look at these things. The Bible's going to talk about in just a minute in the book of Matthew. One of the first things I want to show you is the importance, the importance of its provisions. As we look at the Bible, let's take this topical idea and go, okay, what does the Word of God mean to me? We've got to understand the importance of what is provided in the Word of God. Matthew chapter number 4, verse number 4, Jesus is facing the devil. Many of us come to church and go, you don't know what I'm going through. I've been fighting the devil all weekend long. When a matter of fact, yeah, Jesus understands what you're going through. He actually fought him face to face in the wilderness. Jesus was fasting for 40 days, brother Nick, starting Starving, hungry. In, in, in the United States, if it's 1.30, if it's 12.01, people are no longer in the South hungry. They don't go, man, I'm hungry. You know what I mean? You know what they say? They say, man, we got to get something to eat. I am, you say it with me, I am starving to death. And no one is starving to death compared to the third world countries where if someone's not eating for days or weeks, but 1201, we got to go, I'm starving to death. You'll see it in just a moment, okay? And then what happens is, is that a Christian, we sit back and we, <coughs> we don't get the word of God. We don't get the word of God. And literally, they are malnourished and starving to death. And they go, why am I going through this? You need the word every day. Jesus said this. He answered the devil. The devil said, hey, ma'am. He said, you know you're hungry. It's been 40 days. Did you know you can turn those stones right there into bread? You can have that. And Jesus answered and said unto him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus fought off attacks of the devil by doing what? Satan came to him with a twisted copy of God's word. He came to him with a twisted view, knowing that Jesus was the author and the finisher of our faith and the word of God. But he came to him, and he said, you know you're hungry. Turn him into that. And Jesus fought him back by doing what? For it is written. Amen. Jesus didn't say, if you look back at that verse, Jesus didn't say, I've heard. Uh, he didn't say, Brother Steve said. Or the rabbi said, he said, it's written. 
It's written down, man shall not live by bread alone. Look back at Deuteronomy chapter number 8, I think it is, in verse number 3. The Bible tells what Jesus is referring to. He says these words, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna. Manna came from heaven. The Bible declares it was out of the cornfields of heaven. Amen. Listen, it says, You knewest not that kind of bread. He says, Neither did your fathers know that he might make thee to know what man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. See, here's the thing. Jesus didn't say, man shall not live by bread alone, so don't eat bread anymore. Many people look at that and go, well, we're just going to stop eating bread. Some of us probably should kind of lower the bread intake a little bit, like myself, but be like my dad. My dad says, the scripture says, man shall not live by bread alone, must have peanut butter. And, uh, but if you look at it and look at this scripture, Jesus wasn't saying don't eat bread because in Luke chapter 11, it wouldn't make sense because he turns around, Brandon, and he says, when you pray every day, pray in this manner. You know, give us this day what? Our daily bread. Or in other passage, he says, give us day by day our bread. And what he's saying is, is we need the earthly provisions that are given by you, Lord. We need bread in order to live. We need food and we need water. What Jesus was trying to get to us about and telling Satan is that you can't live by that alone. You may have an earthly life of that, but you can't live. It can't sustain you through eternity eternal life. Amen. And he was saying, you need something more. To, to sum it up, look at, listen to John chapter 4. It's the story where Jesus was tired. One of the only times, you know, you find him tired other than the time he was asleep in the boat. And you only find him asleep in all the scriptures one time, but he was tired. And the Bible says that he came upon a well and he sat on the well and he waited. The disciples went into the city and they were going to get some food and going to get some supplies and come back out there. And they were going to have a feast and they were going to rest and have a good time. The Bible says a woman came out there in the middle of the day to draw water from the well. He had a gospel conversation with her. He challenged her in every way. She went from recognizing that he was a Jewish man. The next step, she said, you must be a prophet or a righteous man. The next step was the prophet. And the last step, she went into the town telling everybody, this has got to be the Messiah. Amen. And sometimes it happens with us. You'll come to church and realize Jesus we talk about is a good man. And then you'll realize that he's a holy prophet of God. And then you realize that he's the very son of God. Amen. And the Bible says that the disciples came back while the woman was going back to the city to tell everybody about a man she had met. And the Bible says that as they were coming back, they were trying to get Jesus to eat something. And what did he say? He said, I have meat that you know not of. And what he was saying was this. It wasn't Jesus going, man, I'm not going to eat. I don't need all that stuff because there was times he broke bread. There was times he ate fish. There was times he had hush puppies. I have to think that. He ate with them. But at that time, he was saying, I've just experienced something that has not only satisfied my soul, but it has satisfied even my hunger. And what he was talking about, being and doing the things of his Father satisfied Jesus, which should satisfy us. And so when it looks at it, you look at this important of this provision, some believers use this excuse. They say, well, I just don't have time to read the Bible. That's a poor excuse. I don't have the education to read the Bible. Yes, you do. You do, brother. See, I don't know it as well as you. You're not supposed to. Man, I, I spend hours and hours in my whole life on these things. You can't mark up, okay, I don't know it like you do. Because why? Because I need to understand it sometimes out of your mouth. 
I don't have the education. Or no person is here to explain it to me. Nobody sits down with me and shows me all this stuff. But the truth of the matter is this, and this is going to sting a little. It's going to hurt you a little bit, all right? So just do like those nurses say. They go, this is going to sting a little bit. Just grit your teeth for a moment, okay? Just don't clench. But the truth of the matter is, is you don't have the desire. Now, I don't want to be ugly to you, but the reason you don't read your Bible is because you don't have the desire to. If there's one thing ever that my dad taught me and spoke something and spoke truth in my life that has helped me throughout all my life, it's this right here. Son, people do what they want to do. And I was like, man, the only other profound thing that ever, ever, ever dad really said that I really got a hold of scripturally was, he said if they could have got Humpty Dumpty to Jesus, he could have put him back together. I said, that's the most profound thing I've ever said. My dad's a simple man, but when he speaks like that, I understand it. He said, son, stop worrying yourself to death. People do what they want to do. If they want to worship, they will worship. If they want to read their Bible, they will read their Bible. If they want to go to ball games, they'll go to ball games. If they want to grow closer to the Lord, they'll grow closer to the Lord. And if they don't, it's not you, it's their desire. But I have this huge burden I have a huge desire, and hopefully you see it every time I preach. I want you to know the Word. I'm sent by God. I'm called by God. That's what it means to be called. It means a person who is sent. I have an overwhelming desire. I want you to know the Word of God. I don't go long in preaching because I enjoy keeping you sitting there. I don't get excited about it and spend all this time and hours of prayer and study because it's all for me. I do it because I want you to know what God's Word says. And the greatest blessing about the Word of God, you know what the greatest blessing is? That it's provided for you. It's right there. You don't have to figure it out on your own or make it up. It's right there. The Bible says every single day, these priests in the Old Testament, they would go, Brother Nick, into that tabernacle, even into the, uh, the temple when it, began, when it became bigger. But the tabernacle days, you got to think, did you know that holy people of God in those days were exactly like holy people of God in this day? Do you know that those priests sat outside the tents of their friends? And watch them as they died also? Do you know that people in the wilderness were bitten by venomous snakes, fiery serpents because of their unbelief and disobedience to God? And did you know, Megan, that, that holy men of God and priests and, and preachers of God's word and, and of the law, and of this, did you know that they sat by them and they told them, pulled back the curtains of the tent and said, the Lord has told us through Moses that if you will just look up there on that hill and look at that brazen serpent that's on that pole, the Lord said you would be healed of this. And those people refusing it, Brother Bill, I'm not going to look... That's the most foolish thing in the world. Why in the world would I look out on something and believe on something and think that I would be healed? And listen, you know, people today are still doing the same thing. There are preachers that are saying, if you will just look at what happened at Calvary, if you will look at Jesus that was hung upon that cross for the remission of your sins, and if you ask him to forgive you and you accept him in your life, that you will be healed from the bite of sin and that you will live forever. And people are still going, I don't care. And you know what? Those priests had to wake up the next day, Brother Brown, and go to the house of God and worship, even though, Sister Laura, their hearts were broken. Even though all the stuff they went through, they still had to get up and go worship. 
And as they walked up to that tabernacle and seen that curtain on the outside wall and those posts and the curtain and the post and the curtain, and they saw the fire coming up, Brother Josh, out of that brazen altar, knowing that there is a remedy for the sins, that there is an animal that was sacrificed, knowing that when they walked into that sanctuary, as they trimmed the wicks and as they filled the oil, Brother Butch, and the, the light off of that menorah lampstand began to glow off of those boards that were overlaid with pure gold, and the light just filled the room, and that priest looked down at the dirt as we do sometimes kicking the dirt, knowing that he's tied to the earth still, that he still has problems, Kathy, that he still has heartbreaks, and he's part of that. But as he looked up and those walls were reflecting that gold and the light coming off of it, he knew that God's presence was with him. As he looked up and he said, God, I don't know how we're going to get through this. He saw in the embroidery work of those curtains that were overlaying that, the cherubims, the angels that were sewn into that, knowing that God was with him and that angels were camped all around him. <clears throat> knowing when he went over there to that little bitty golden altar in there that was a foot and a half wide by a foot and a half thick by about two and a half, three and a half foot tall, and he put that incense on there and he began to pray. <laughs> And he began to seek God, and he was saying, Lord, I need you today. And you know so-and-so out there, he needs you. Or you know she needs you out there. And that smoke began to fill the room, and the sweet smell of the prayers were going up as incense. But then he turns and looks. And there, in all of that stuff that's glorious, there is a table about three feet, three and a half feet long, by about a foot and a half to two foot wide, about two and a half foot tall. It's overlaid with gold with a crown on it. And on top of there are six loaves of bread on this side and six loaves of bread on the other side. And all that other stuff that's cool and we see this beautiful image of God, there's bread. You know what I mean? I mean, you got lot, you got prayers, bread. Six and six representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And it reminded that priest as he walked in there that God's not left them without provision. That through the word of God, he was going to provide for them every day. And every day they went in there, they were reminded of the book of Lamentations that says God's mercies are new every day. So every day when they thought their problems were getting bigger and bigger and their doubts were coming up over their head and swallowing them and drowning them out, every day those priests went in there and reminded that God's mercies in his word is new every single day and that there is enough. As Donnie Thomason, that little short preacher, used to preach all the time, he said the word will work. The word will work. You know why? Because there's enough there. Enough there, but it's not going to get into you unless you take it in. That table that was there in the book of Exodus chapter 25, it was called the, the table of God's face. It was called the table of presence. <laughs> if you, y'all don't get that? What that means is, is when they walked in there, they knew that because of that sustenance, because of that provision, that they would see God's presence and God's face. Amen? In, in Chronicles, it's called the bread of ordering. It means that it's ordered, it's specific, it's put in the right way. In Numbers, it's called the continual bread. Amen? Which means this, it's the same yesterday, it's the same today, and when we wake up tomorrow, let me say it like, if we wake up tomorrow, it is the same way 
Word of God tomorrow. Amen. For the alcoholic that needed saved yesterday or in 1994 like me, that same one can be saved today that's living in that sin. And if there holds it tomorrow, God's Word will save that one too. Amen. I'm telling you, you ought to get excited. I'm going to the church of God. The Bible says in 1 Samuel that it's called holy bread. But here's the best thing. Jesus stood up in John chapter number 6 and verse number 47 and verse number 48. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. That is cool. I don't know any other word than to say that is awesome. Jesus stands in a group of people that understood the showbread and the loaves on there, and he told them, I'm the bread of life. And it was, what was greatest church? Look at the scripture. I am that bread of life. Even the Bible says that he told them, Moses longed for my day back then. Amen. He, when he saw me and knew me, he longed for that. Oh, i got to go on. i got to go fast. But the Bible says it's a beautiful provider. The second thing is this. Look at the Word of God. Think about what it is and understand this. The ability of its protection. <clears throat> Hopefully you remember these things. The ability of its protection. Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful, <clears throat> sharper than any two-edged sword, Piercing even to the dividing of the sunder of soul and spirit. It is separate soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow or and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts. Look at this, discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Do you know that that's the main reason many Christians don't dive into the word of God anymore? It's because the more they know, the more it reveals about them stuff that they like to do more than what they're told to stay away from. Dun, dun, dun. You say, there's no way. When I was a youth pastor at a church one time, I asked this one kid why he didn't read it. He said, I don't read my Bible. And I said, why? Why, man? I just, I didn't nail him down. I said, well, why don't you read your Bible? He said, well, I heard our pastor say, and I wasn't the pastor. I heard our pastor say, the more that you know, the more you'll be held responsible for and I went, you're the smartest dummy that I ever have faced, ever known. Because he was trying to be so smart to outsmart God because if he didn't read it, then he wouldn't have to abide by it. And I'm like, you're missing out on everything. And you know how many Christians do that? Because they think they can't uphold everything. Listen, this is beautiful and this is good. <clears throat> the, the, the first service didn't get excited about it, but y'all keep your seats on this one right here. But the Word of God is a spiritual weapon, okay? It is a, a very tactical weapon for spiritual warfare. You don't understand this, but there is a battle for your thoughts right now. And it's not, it's not Cracker Barrel, it's the devil and his demons that are fighting for your attention. It's not Hollywood's little bitty angel on this side, Goody, and then the bad angel on this side. There is a battle that's going on within you. And that's why Paul says, endure hardness as a good soldier. If my dad would have written, endure hardness as a good soldier, it would be in this southern terminology today, suck it up, son, and be a strong soldier. Now, y'all don't get mad at me about that. Y'all, I mean, that... That's very simple. What it means is, is you need to, what he's talking about is that you just need to wipe the snot off from crying all the time and get tough. I don't know if your dad ever told you that before, but my dad was like, hey, that's fine. Wipe the blood off. Let's go. You know what I mean? I'd run to mom. Well, I'd run to my mom. She'd run away if I had blood all over me. But dad was like, wipe it off. 
What does your dad say? Wipe a little dirt on it, right? Rub some dirt on it. The Bible is a tactical weapon. It's a weapon. In Ephesians, it says it is the sword. Amen? The Bible says it's the sword of the Spirit. And what too many people think is that this weapon is used in only defense mode, that we're to use it as a defense. No, 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 no. The Bible says, Brother Bill, you've been given a shield of faith wherewith to quench the fiery darts from the enemy, so you've got something in defense to shield off. That's faith, amen? Because Satan's going to come at your mind. I don't care if you've been saved a day or if you've been saved a thousand days or, or 50 years, Satan's going to come at your mind, okay? Even my friend that passed away just the other day, just yesterday or the day before, Satan often attacked, and we were counseling together and talking together about the Word of God many, many times through tears. Brother Reggie, no matter, he was saved over 50-something years, but still battled. Why? Because there is a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare, but you need the tactical weapon. See, it's not for defense only. It is mainly invented for offense. When Satan said, hey, you know that you can jump off this big old long pinnacle here and this huge mountain, and you know the Word of God says that the angels would come and catch you lest you hit your toe against any stone. King James says, unless you dash your foot against the stone. Steve says, unless you bump your big toe. Okay? And Jesus told him what? For it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Get thee behind me. Say, he said every time, for it is written. You know why? Because you knew the word. You know why Christians are poor at spiritual battle today? Because they are convinced when someone comes along with a twisted, forked uh, tongue and tells them some scripture out of context, it totally ruins everything because they don't have the foundation in the Word. Adrian Rogers said it best. He said this right here. He said, no one in the FBI or in internal affairs goes out and trains people by showing them counterfeit money and showing them counterfeit bills over and over and over. They are trained by looking at the original, understanding what it is so that when any counterfeit does come up, they know that it's not the original. And too many Christians today are spending too much time learning things about the Word, about church, thinking they can just come to church, thinking they can just come Sunday morning and they're an okay Christian. If they come Sunday night when services are offered, they're a good Christian. And the Lord forbid if they come on a Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday, Wednesday night, woo, they're the best Christians since sliced bread. They're the best things happened since Wonder Bread invented slicing it up. That why? Because you think, oh, all this stuff that I'm getting. And did you know if you divide out those hours that you are at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that you actually only devote throughout that year 3.2% of your time to God? And the other time is yours? Listen, don't come to church trying to get some gold star on the board. You want a gold star in life? You get in the Word. Because you need a tactical weapon. And this is even better. Keep your seats. I know you're excited this morning. But this one right here, it's a surgical weapon also for our spiritual health. Our spiritual health care. It's surgical. The Bible says it is sharp. Or it says it is quick. It is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. You know why? Because it needs to apply its medicine and remedy to the exact precise places. I, I said something this morning. I'm going to share it with you too. God forbid I ever have any heart issues. I, I, I already do. Because <clears throat> I've been big my whole life. I, I go and get x-rays and the doctor say you have an enlarged heart. And I said, well, my mama told me that I had a big heart too. 
That's what I tell them. So I've had some sonars years ago when I weighed like 330 pounds. They were telling me all this stuff. And so I was like, okay. So evidently, uh, I'm like the Grinch. My heart grew. You know, as my body grew, my heart had to keep up with it. <clears throat> Hopefully now that I've slimmed down some, my heart's not as big as it used to be anymore. Okay? <clears throat> but if you stop and think about it, I'm telling you, if I ever have to have heart surgery, you try your best to be there, okay? I don't want, if, if COVID's still going on, God forbid, but you try your best to be there because I don't want someone to go, hey, we need something to open him up with, and Nick pulls out his little old case knife and goes, you know what I mean? How crazy would that be? I mean, we laugh about that. That would be crazy. You know what I mean? If I was to ask any of the guys in here this morning, hey, I, I need a knife. Anybody got a knife? Some of you guys would pull out all these different knives. You'd pull out knives that cost 20 bucks. Some of you crazy people would pull out knives that cost 150 bucks. You'd whip them out, and, you, and I love it, especially these country guys. They go, here you go, click, and it's clicked out. You know what I mean? That thing has apple residue, vine of sausages stuck in the gears of it all. You know what I mean? And like, what'd you cut with this? Well, I was working on the septic tank before I got here. I had to clean some stuff off, but it's all right. I mean, I, I cleaned it. You know what I mean? How foolish would it be for a doctor, a surgeon, going to come in there and going to lay you out and open you up, and they go, all right, well, let's get this process started. <laughs> and he whoops out that vine of sausage, grease-infested, septic tank-infested knife, going to cut you up. And you know what's going to happen? You're actually going to be infected. No, they take a scalpel. They take a precise tool, a precise instrument, because it, it is a very delicate and a very dangerous surgery. So what do they do? They use something that is sterile, something that's clean, and something that gets the job done. The Word of God is what you need. For your health care and your life, don't go out getting some copy of something, some big book that talks about how everybody goes to heaven because I'm telling you that is nothing more than an open case knife that's got septic tank residue on it. You need a surgical instrument if you're going to be a healthy Christian, and it's the Word of God. Paul says that it's the Word of God. Listen, the ability of his protection. Here's the next thing. We're going through these pretty fast. I want you to see the wonderful bounty, how much it produces, the wonderful bounty of its produce. It's awesome. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 8, verse 11, Lewis says, he says that the parable is this. Jesus gives a parable about a sower, and he says the seed is the Word of God. And that's all I want you to focus on. Many people want to focus on in that scripture all the different soils that was affected. And some was sown them on the wayside and men stepped on them and, or the fowls of the air came and got it out of there, you know, and ate it up before it could ever take root. And then they talk about the next soil, you know, some throw it on the wayside and the men stepped on it. Some was thrown among the storms or the stony ground <clears throat> and it jumped up and all that stuff. See, the soil changed throughout that whole parable. The soil changed. It was all different. One thing that never changed in that parable was the seed. The seed never changed, and the Word of God will not change. There are times that I'm giving you the Word of God, and it ain't falling on the good ground. It's falling on your hard noggin. And it ain't going to bring any fruit because you're thinking about all these other things and you're not letting the Holy... You're sitting there gritting your teeth, gritting and, and quenching the Holy Spirit and you're not going to let him move on you because you just don't... I'm just... And it's like that country song, I'm just going to be mad. 
You know what I mean? I'm just going to be mad. I'm just going to be frustrated. And it's not the soil. The seed is the same. Jesus said the seed is the Word of God. The Bible says when we sow the seed of the Word of God into our lives, we will reap life everlasting. It says if we sow of the Spirit, we will reap life everlasting. But if we sow of the flesh, we will of the flesh reap corruption. He said it even better in Isaiah chapter 55. Look at verse 10, and then we'll look at verse number 11. He says there in that beginning, For as the rain comes down, and snow from the heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it to bring forth, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and hang out right here, and bread to the eater. Look at what he says. He gives us this earthly thing, Jimmy. He says, let me, let me, let me talk about something you'll know. You won't talk about something I know. Let's talk about fishing. Let's talk about eating. Don't laugh at me. Y'all eat too. Let's talk about building a house. Let's talk about the Bible. Jesus, through this prophet, it says, Isaiah said, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, then returneth not thither. What he's talking about, it doesn't just hit the ground and bounce back up. It's not, it's not like a trampoline. He said, no, it's got a purpose. And the purpose for the rain and the snow that comes down is to do what? To water the earth and to make it bring forth, to take those seeds, give water to it, life to it, and to bring forth fruit, bring forth bud, and it says, and it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. What it means is, is that the farmer will continually have more seed to go out and to sow more and to sow more, and it will give bread to the eater. How many of you are the second portion of that? You're, you're, the, you're the eater. You know what I mean? You eat of those things. The Lord doesn't leave it there, but he says in verse number 11, look at what he says. He says, so shall my word be. He says, if you understand that, giving to the farmer, that the farmer eats of it, and then the people eat out of the farmer's hand, he said, understand this. That's why I've given you my word. I've not given you my word to set it out on a coffee table. I've not given you my word to cut your precious children's lockets of hair and stick it in between the pages. My mama's got my hair. Don't you laugh. Mama's got my hair when I was a kid. Golden lockets of hair in the Bible. God didn't give us the Bible. Now, it's a family Bible. God didn't give us the Bible stick hair in there. He didn't give you the Bible to stick everybody's obituary in there either. Right? That's what people do. I'm telling you, listen, I'm not picking on you, but some of these ladies understand what I'm talking about. They get their Bible. If it fell out on the floor, we'd see who died in the last 30 years. <clears throat> but he says, I give it to you. Why? Look, it says it comes out of my mouth, brother Nick. It says, and it goes forth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God, give it so that we would have some food and nourishment to eat. Here's the third or fourth thing, whichever one. The results of God's word, the potential, the power or the potential of it all. Listen, Acts chapter 4, verse 31. It says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Brother Carl, I wish the place where we preach at would be shaken sometime. You know what I mean? Not an earthquake. I don't want that. But I wish people would be shaken. It says they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. The word boldness there is the Greek word parousia, and it means openly, plainly, or with great confidence. The word of God has great potential and power, but not if we close our mouths or close our Bibles or close our minds. Apart from God's word, we have no power. You want to know what happened in the early church, how they had a move of God? It wasn't because of the presentation of the preacher. 
And it wasn't because of the, the style of the music that they had back then. It wasn't because they had seats instead of pews and they had, they had big, huge curtains instead of stained glass windows. It's not because of the church building. When God blesses the church, it will always be because the people of God understand the Word of God, share the Word of God, and they grow from that. You can't grow out from anything else that will last unless it is in the Word of God. Look at what Acts chapter number 6, he said in verse 7, And the Word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And look at this. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. There were priests being saved. Amen. There were folks being saved and even the preachers being saved. And I don't know, if you're going to go to church somewhere, it's good that your preacher's saved. You know what I mean? But if you look at it, where did it all come from? It didn't come <coughs> from the way Peter preached. It didn't come from him because he thought he was... It didn't come from the way Paul preached. You know what Paul thought about himself? He said, of the sinners, I'm chief. Paul didn't think highly of himself. It came from what? The Word of God. You know what John the Baptist said? He said, he must increase and I must decrease. Why? Because it's all about God's Word. If a church is going to flourish and grow, it'll be because they get into God's Word. Look at Acts chapter number 12. It says the same thing. Verse 24, but the Word of God grew and multiplied. <clears throat> Wasn't the people. It was God's Word that actually grew and multiplied. I love this part. Acts 19 and verse number 20, so mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. I mean, there was a sorcerer here, Brother Carl. He was trying to sell all of his books, and then he wanted to buy the faith that Peter and them was preaching. You remember that? They burned all the books and expecting the whole town to get mad at them. And the Bible says many of them believed on God and so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. They took all their junk and burned it. And the word of God was glorified. It should never be that we increase or that our church increases or that we go around talking about North Holland all the time. It should be when we leave here, what a word of God we heard. What a mighty word of God that we heard today. What a, what a message in that scripture and John and all of that. Here's the last thing, and I know this is what you've waited for. I want you to see this more than anything. I've been wanting to get here the whole morning. The melody of its proportions. I want you to open your Bible, if you got it, back to Psalms chapter 119. hope you probably still got it open right there. <clears throat> if not, I promise you, you can just open that thing up. You just try to pick the middle out right there, and you'll probably open it up to Psalms 119. It's big. It's a big, big, huge chapter. And I want you to look back at it. And I want you to understand some Hebrew things. Right now, probably the majority of everybody in here is just a regular old Gentile American. You know what I mean? Apple pie and corn dogs and all that stuff. I want you to stop thinking that way this morning, and I want you to be a Jew with me. I want you to be a Hebrew with me. And I told him this morning, if you're offended by being a Hebrew, you can be a Hebrew too. But I want you to be a Hebrew with me this morning. <clears throat> Look, I work on these things all week. Y'all should be more impressed. <clears throat> and I want you to think like them. These people were called out of nothing, the land of our Abraham, out of nothing, to worship God, the true God. Actually, in the, uh, 
the, uh, the Haggadah, uh, the Mishnah, which is the Jewish writings, the historical side of it, they say that Abraham's daddy was an idol maker and that Abraham did those things. And he was called, that's why the scripture gives us that instance of he was called out of his father's house because it's showing us how he was called out of what his dad was doing to serve the real and true God. It didn't say that <clears throat> Abraham said, give me a three or four weeks, you know, or uh, you know, I need to get severance pay from this other thing I'm doing, and then I'll go out and do it. He, it says that he left and he went, and uh, he came into Israel knowing that that was where God was going to bless him. But then even Abraham struggled in his faith at that moment and was worried because there was a famine in the land, and he went out to Egypt. Of all places to go, he went to Egypt because he didn't trust God fully. Some of our biggest, biggest trials will come when we're not fully trusting God. And so Abraham goes out there, and he didn't trust God even to the point where he lied, you know, about his sister and other things like that. And so in that instance, what happened was is that all those people that were going to be called by God, they were immediately in bondage. And it's an illustration of how that you and I, when we're born, we're born into captivity of sin. We're born under the nature of sin, but the Lord will deliver us out of that. Even Jesus, if you look at the Bible, the Bible says that when Jesus was born, that, he was, uh, that Joseph was commanded by God to take Jesus out into Egypt to do what? To get away from Herod and all those that were going to kill him. <clears throat> so even Jesus literally went out into the wilderness and, and was delivered out of those things. And you say, wow, God put something like that in there. Well, it's, it's to be able to say that our high priest, we have not a high priest that can't be touched with our feelings. And what it means is he, he understands everything you went through. He understands what the Jews went through and running from evil because they ran from Pharaoh and he was getting away from Herod. He understands it all. And so when you talk to him, you can't say, you don't understand what I'm going through. He understands every bit of what you're going through. <clears throat> and it says, but in all points, he was tempted like you and I, but Brother Bill, what does it say? It says, but he was without sin. So if you look at this, this chapter right here, it's really cool because there's 176 verses. But, Brother Butch, it's broken out into 22 different sections through all those verses. So if you, if you figure that and you do the math, each section, 22 sections broken out, there's eight verses in each section. So 22 times 8 is 176. And in those 22 chapters, this is what the Hebrew people even today do to teach their children the alphabet, or theirs is called the Aleph Beth, the, the way that they teach them language and stuff and their, their, their letters is by taking Psalms 119. And so they're instructing and stealing into these young Jewish people that the Word of God is important in everything that we do and let me show you how it even applies in your everyday life of understanding how to speak Hebrew. So we look at it, that first section of eight verses is Aleph, the next section is Beth, the next section is Gimel, the next section is, it's just, it, it's uh, uh, Daleth, the next section, and, and your Bible probably has that in there. And you've probably looked at it before going, I have no idea what that means, I don't know what that is, but if you look at it, the first letter of those <clears throat> are always the letter the consonant letters of the Hebrew language. And, and if you see that sixth section that we talked about, I chose that one because it is Vav, V-A-V. If you look at this, I think you can put the picture of that Hebrew letter up there. If you look at this letter, this is the way that they write it. It kind of scrolls, it kind of goes up, and it just comes down. <clears throat> and it's V-A-U, but it's pronounced Vav. And you say, well, Bruce, what do you mean? <laughs> Listen to me. I hear a lot of Christians talk about, <clears throat> I'm going to come down here. I'm done spitting, so I'm going to come down here. But I hear a lot of Christians talk about, you know what, I, I'm going to be, I'm a King James 1611 Bible guy. You know what I mean? And I'm looking at them, and I'm going, you're not. 
And they go, well, I am, and they're convinced of it. And I'm like, no, you're a 1786 King James. If you open up the front of your Bible in your King James Bible, it's, you have a revised version of 1786. And I always joke around. I, I love the King James Bible. I mean, bread, eat, everything about it. Love it. <clears throat> but you wouldn't understand that 1611 version of the Bible. You wouldn't. When it says Son of God, they spell it S-O-N-N-E. So you would go through your Christian life calling him the Sonny. When it says a W, like we know, is looks like this. All the, even the kids in here know what a W looks like. No, no, no. It's a doubled U. So every time it says we, it's U-U-E. Double U. All right? Some of us would get it because we're hooked on phonics. <laughs> we would work well with that Bible. Most of us wouldn't. And the reason I say that is because when I say this, when we go, you know, W, X, Y, and Z, when we say W in the English language, what are we doing? It's actually like we're saying the word, the letter is a W, but when we pronounce it, it's like we're saying D-O-U-B-L-E-Y-O-U. You know what? W. You know what I mean? And, and if you're any further in South Alabama, it's W, you know? <clears throat> so it's a little bit different. And I know you're thinking, what in the world does it have to do? It has everything to do with everything of why you have your Bible. In the Hebrew nation, they took cow skins and they cut them off and then they would boil them and clean them and scrape them down and then they would, they would make these scrolls and it would be called parchment and there was a person there they called a scribe. And the word scribe is our English word for it, which means to like inscribe something. And so a person that writes things down, that's what we would think the word scribe means. Stay with me. We think it means to write something down. But the Hebrew name for scribe is sofer. And sofer doesn't mean to write it down. How many of you ever heard of the scribes? You always thought, well, well, they're just the people that copy the word and they just write it down. But it doesn't mean that. The actual meaning of that word, sofer, means an accountant. So they're like a, a, a mathematician or an accountant even more, Brother Bill, than they are just writing something down. <clears throat> None of the scribes or the sophers could ever write the Scripture out of memory. None of them. And that's what's wrong, and some people disagree with me, but that's why there's a lot of versions of the Bible out there that I think that it's okay, but I think you should stay away if you're going to be getting sound doctrine because some of them are thought-for-thought thought translated Bibles and phrase-by-phrase phrase Bibles. And, and please don't get upset with me and, and mad and grit your teeth and all that stuff, but if I'm going to get sound doctrine I, I don't tend to go to the Message Bible because the Message Bible is uh, like, it would be like, like you, Brother Nick, writing it down thought for thought by what you think and just kind of giving you the thought process of it all. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I got a love letter from Patty, and which was many of them, we still got them, I wanted it word for word. And when I was hanging on to it, <clears throat> I wanted every word on there. You know what I mean? Why? Because she thought it was precious enough and special enough to write to me. I want to know every word. So if she was in another language, and, and Brandon understood that language, and he said, well, <clears throat> all this first stuff right here, it, it's just talking about your, your hair, your good looks, your, your great build, <clears throat> all this. And he says, ah, it's just really nothing. You know what I mean? And well, let's just kind of skip through that. I want to go, no, 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 no. Read it to me. Read it, all about my long flowing hair <clears throat> and my, my chiseled body, right? You want that. 
And too many of our modern day translations are robbing from doctrinal things. So be careful is all I'm telling you. Be very careful. The scribes, just the first five books of your Bible, which would be just this portion of your Bible right here, just that much, it's called in the Hebrew, we're Hebrews, it's called the Torah. It's called the books of Moses or the books of the law. It's the first five books. They held them in high regard to where when they went out and they prepared those skins and the, the parchments of those animals and scraped it down, that they had to have everything precise. It had to be a five-inch uh, in the writing area right there, it had to be five inches wide. It had to have an inch or at least two inches, whatever. Uh, it had to be at least an inch to up to two inches. had to be a space in between and then the next column and then the next column and the next column. And they had to go in there and every word, Brother Nick, had to be perfect in straight line. But they couldn't draw pencil lines or by college rule like we would have done. They had to take an instrument, a sharp instrument called a scribe, and they would put a line there and they did 43 lines, so to say. They had to write 42 lines worth of that Hebrew. And you're saying, Brother Steve, what, what does all of this mean? They were meticulous. And the reason you have a Bible is not because Sam Walton said, let's put them in Walmarts. The reason you have a Bible is because a sofa sat down years ago and took a turkey feather and made it into a quill. They couldn't use an iron quill because it would damage the parchment. And they sat down and they wrote the Hebrew letters. To the point that if they made a mistake and it could not dry, Brother Bill, and be erased or scraped off with a sharp instrument or a blade, that if it could not be fixed, they had to take the whole thing and throw it away because it was not fit. It was not what they call kosher, which means accurate or correct for them or by God. To where they would say these blessings, e Hashim, Hashim, over the scripture, every time they wrote, they would say, Lord, bless the name of the Lord, is what they would say. Man, I get excited. <clears throat> every time they came to the word Adonai, they would say, bless the name of the Lord, and write that. Every time they came to Elohim, they would write, bless the name of the Lord God, and write it down. Every single time, before they could even write things down the next morning, they had to go to a, a, to a ritual bath and bath and baptism and had to be baptized and then write the scripture. They took heart in the word of God. And that sofer, after he completed looking like this, Megan, looking at that word, writing that word, looking at that letter, writing that letter, they couldn't do it out of memory. They had to do it off of what was already given, which makes it what? Correct. You know what sofer, you know what he did? He made 42 lines. 248 columns that are all through this Torah in the book. 304,000, 304, 805,000 Hebrew letters. And they are still commanded today that when they finish writing the word, Brother Carl, he's got to go back and go, one, two, three. Oh, my goodness. And if he gets to 304, 803. 304, 804. Oh my gosh. We've left the letter out. Steve Abney would go, it'd be fine. It'd be fine. But because of what God, but because of the precious word of God, 
It had to be 304, 805,000 Hebrew letters. The Hebrew people believed that God's word kind of dwelt among them, that it tabernacled around them, basically. They felt and they said that God's word kind of encompassed them and that they were kept by God's word. And they were told by God to do these specific things like this. If you look at this, this picture right here, you see that that column of ink that's there, that in the Hebrew is called the Uriah. It's called the Uriah, and that word means curtain or sheet. Each one of those are represent of a curtain or a sheet, a Uriah. In between the spaces right there where you see the space between each of the columns, it's called Adum, A-D-U-M. And what it means is it means post. So when you look at a scroll and you open it up, an actual Hebrew scroll, Sister Lord, it says that there is, a, <clears throat> there is a sheet or a curtain, and then there's a post, and there's a sheet, and there's a post, and there's a sheet, and there's a post. Even the little scrolls, the little, the little wooden handles, Brother Carl, that are wrapped in there, it's the Hebrew term for this tree of life yes amen. amen it's the word of God if you stop for a moment you'll understand something in all of the language of the Hebrew people and I'm about to stop in all the language of the Hebrew people that word vav for the letter V it's actually a word it's an actual word in the Bible it's found in Exodus chapter 27 just that one letter look at it go back to the letter page. just in that one letter it's this word hooks if you were to take that thing and to turn it sideways and we were to nail it into this wall, it would be like a hook. And where the term comes into play, this is really good, where the term comes into play is in the Old Testament in the tabernacle. When they had the tabernacle out in the wilderness, and you've probably seen these pictures and stuff. We got that picture and I got this picture. <clears throat> you see that tabernacle that was out there. The Bible says that they would have a big, huge curtain that would be out there. A sheet or a curtain and a post. A sheet, a curtain, and a post. Sheet, curtain, and a post. You see them? Post after post after post. And on each post, Brother Nick, there was the Hebrew letter V, Vav, because it was a silver hook that was driven into that post. And you know what that hook did? It held the curtain on there. And they were not going to go anywhere because they were held by the hook. And then if you look at the other part, that thing is staked down and it has these ropes that come down. Those pegs or hooks that went into the ground, the tent stegs, they were called vav in the V. And you say, what does that mean, Brother Steve? These people knew God was precise with it. Because he was, can you imagine that priest waking up? I'm not going to hit y'all with that. I probably would. But look, can you imagine that priest waking up? And man, his friend has died. All this stuff's going on. And he's thinking as he's walking to the, over there to the tabernacle, God, how am I going to make it today? You don't understand how My husband just passed away. My friend. Lord, they won't look. How am I going to make it? And he's walking over there. And he sees that outer curtain in the post. And he knows within his heart, God's with us. God's dwelling with us. God's not left us. He's the same. That's why when they looked at this one right here at night, they could say, oh, yeah. Brother Nick, can you imagine waking up and you're an Israelite out in the wilderness and you're thinking, oh, God, has God left us? Has he left us out in the wilderness to die alone? And you look over there and there's that pillar of fire and you go, nope, not yet. Amen. He ain't left us yet. In the daytime when you wake up and you go, well, how are we going to see the fire? We don't know if he's here or not. There was a pillar of cloud there. And when that was resting on that tabernacle, it meant God says, I'm right here. That's what it meant. In English, it means I'm right here. 
And the Bible says that as they did that post, that Adam or that Adam and then the Urah, there was a post and then there was a curtain, a post and a curtain, a post and a curtain. Go back and look at that scroll. And I'm closing. God wants you to know his word. Did you know that every single column, Megan, every single Urah, which is that that sheet that's there, and then the post that's beside it, the empty space. Did you know that every single column is justified in its margins? It's not right or left. It's not centered. It's perfect. Five inches apart. Did you know, Brother Nick, that every single column in the Torah starts with Vav? Starts with a V. Precisely done by God's servants because what they felt is that the Word of God needed to be hooked onto that parchment, needed to be latched onto it. And my question to you is, is how in the world can you think you can be an effective, strong believer in God and walk this Christian faith if God's not, Word is not hooked to your life and attached to your life? You can't come by church service and expect to get it all. And you can't always live on, oh, what Brother Steve preached. No, it needs to be attached to you. And I know what you're thinking. You ever see those commercials where it says, these knives slice and dices, and they cut fries in all these different ways. And then they say, but wait, there's more? I know what you're thinking. There could not possibly be any more. But wait, there's more. Because the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, says the word of God, yeah. Jesus, was made flesh, Brother Bill. And it says that he dwelt yeah. among us. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Because in the Greek, the word dwelt among us means tabernacled among us. It's translated the word of God, tabernacled among us. It's talking about Jesus came and hooked himself to us. It's talking about he tabernacled with us. And if that isn't enough, those Roman soldiers took iron pegs and nails, and Brother Carl, they attached him to a post. They nailed him to a tree so that what? He was hooked there. He hung there so that we could have victory, amen? And so many Christians today are walking around moping the blues about everything, and I'm telling you the biggest problem is because you're not in the parchments. You're not in the Word. You need to be in the Word. Amen. You sit back and go, I'm going to get everything I can get, you know, this week in about an hour, Brother Steve's preaching. No, you ain't. You ain't. Because my preaching is not that good. I'm telling you, you need more. You need God to tabernacle among you and put all that in you. I don't know how y'all feel this morning, but I feel like running around out in the streets holding up this thing. And if I need to, apply it. Sometimes, Brother Nick, I just want to go, wham! What's wrong? You know what's wrong with us? Our desire. If I was to ask you, I'm, I'm stopping. If I was to ask you, do you read your Bible? Most every time. Especially when people are going through things. Most every time, people say, well, not really. Did you know that David talked about, in Psalms 119, word, precepts, law, commandments, all that. Did you know the way he did it? Did you notice that it was in eight verses each? Do you know why it was in eight verses each? 
Listen, beautiful music is played, designed by God. How beautiful, Brother Butch. If you listen to it, every note on this piano, guitar, whatever you want to play, if it's harmonica, it's eight. It's an octave. It goes A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Starts all over. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Every single one. You know why? Because it's an octave. Many people want to look at the Word of God and just put a bunch of octaves together. You want to skip around in the Bible and you want to put all these G's and you think, oh, that sounds so pretty. Boy, I love the Word of God. And I mean, have you really been in it and read it? But you don't understand that if you were to take all the other harmony parts of that and put it together, then you'd have something that sounds like this. And that's what's missing in Christians' lives. Do you know that we learn harmony even by our national anthem? Oh, say can you see? Did you know that that was designed to actually even teach people how to do harmony? Now, some of us can't sing, and ain't nothing going to help. Even Barney's instructor will not help. But if I could get you up here on this stage, and I won't do that to you, but if I could get one of you to go, oh, and then the other to go, oh, and then the other people to say, can you see, and you just do the note, did you know that when you do it, it will sound all of the beauty of harmony and melody, and that it will, ring, it will have a ringing tone to it? Do you know that's what God wants with you when you're reading the Word? But the problem is, is we sound like a cat being run over by a rocking chair on its tail and we go I don't know what to do I'm telling you what to do get in the word hook it to your life father that's what we